This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. Dear brothers and sisters, I'm not really sure if any person can accomplish any major task by themselves. There are people that by one act can destroy something by themselves. But there are not many people who can build anything by themselves. And when we discuss the issue of leadership, this is what we need to understand. The measure of leadership. And before we discuss leadership itself, we need to ourselves think about how it impacts upon each one of us. We need to be able to measure ourselves before we measure others. And we need to also ask ourselves, what are we using as a measurement tool? Because if you don't use the right tool, you will wind up choosing the wrong leader or you will wind up being chosen as the wrong leader because men choose and God chooses and there are tools for fools and most of leadership in the world today started off with good intentions based upon solid reasonable justifications but somewhere along the line human desire with immoral fire blended inside or under a leader and then that leader became consumed and then different kinds of leadership have manifested themselves in the world today. Now, there may be a few non-Muslims here, although, in my humble opinion, the non-Muslims of this country deserve to hear this more than the Muslims. Because Muslims are already sitting with something on their table. They already have the Quran to judge leadership. They already have the Sunnah to judge leadership. And the Imam who spoke before me already spoke about that measure of leadership. The measure of the Quran and the measure of the Sunnah. So we Muslims, we already have something on the table. But our non-Muslim 
countrymen, human beings, fellow human beings, they don't have a solid paradigm. They don't have a solid criteria. And that's why the world is being ruled today by non-Muslims. We do have some 26, 27, or 29 Islamic or Muslim countries, but by way of remote control, they are ruled by non-Muslims. And because the non-Muslims don't have a moral paradigm, they're dealing with popularity, or they're dealing with power. These are two things that rule the world today. Popularity. This is called in Arabic, Hawa. By the desires, the desires of the leader. And then he shares those desires with the people. And then he get his own party. And the desires of that party fight to keep him in office because he will satisfy their desires. And then the desires of another party will oppose that party in order to keep, you know, to either somehow overthrow or outvote so they can get in and feed their desires. That's called popular leadership. And then you got leadership by power. And these are those who take control by force or by inheritance like your good queen. Most of you wouldn't say you follow the queen. But that's because you don't take the time to understand how your government came into power. Who gave them power? This used to be a colony. The Spanish ruled this country first and took everything they could take until after they became weak enough then the British came and ran them out and they took over and took everything they can take and then when it became time globally for all the colonists to pull back because they had to look after their own countries because there's a time even for imperialists that they had to pull back and look after their own backyard so they pulled back. When they pulled back, they left governors. And those governors were trained by them. And those governors, they assigned administrators to run the institutions that those colonizers, those colonial powers put in place. And you are the fruits and the products of those institutions and you are the fruits and the products of colonialist thinking and it is only Islam that has the ability to break the chains on that kind of thinking and that kind of slavery now those that don't have Islam the non-Muslim leaders that don't have Islam you can't blame them if they can't jump up and fly they ain't got no wings you can't blame them if they can't come up with an ideology that can take control of their resources. They don't understand it. They cannot do it. And within their system of belief, it doesn't exist. There is no liberation from that kind of slavery. I give you an instance. I give you an example. A statistic 
that a Trinidadian intellectual that I respect gave to me. And it's like public knowledge, so it ain't like I'm telling y'all something that's secret. I'm not giving you no classified knowledge. I just want to undertell you how you're being raped. I want to let you know how you're being exploited. I want you to understand the long arm of colonialism. I want you to understand remote control. I want you to understand exploitation. So I'm going to just get that to you. I'm, I'm sure all of you know that Trinidad is an oil producing country. Don't you know that? Don't you know that? But did you know that the price of oil today in the world market is 78 US dollars a barrel? It was 75 about a month ago, but now it's 78. 78 US dollars a barrel. But because of a special relationship which the Great Britain, the crown, has with this government, a ceiling by agreement has, placed, has been placed on the oil of Trinidad. And so BP and all those other family of exploiters, they put a ceiling and so they get your oil forever for $25 a barrel. That's why you pay the difference. That's why your country can't move forward. That's why your roads are like it is. That's why your infrastructure is the way it is. That's why your institutions are the way it is. It's not because you don't have money because those in the upper crust, those in the upper class, y'all got money. Matter of fact, you got so much money, you don't even know what to do with it. I'm talking about the upper class and some of those that are sitting in this audience right now is part of the upper class and even some of the religious people in this country is part of the upper class and because the upper class themselves get their needs, their bellies full and more, they don't even say nothing about the exploitation. Because the colonizers, they always want some fat cats they always want some fat rats. They always want some people that they can just give more than what they need to say, shh. But that's not what we want to talk about now. I'm just flicking a match in the dark. But we want to turn the lights all the way on. We want to talk about leadership. We want to talk about the measure of leadership. We want to talk about leadership in the world. We want to talk about historical leadership. We want to talk about scriptural leadership. We want to talk about moral leadership. And we want to talk about immoral leadership so that we can come and understanding that what the world needs today and what your country needs today is to examine itself, its conscience, and also whether you are a leader or a follower or whether we or whether the government hears this message or you who pay the taxes hear this message, there needs to be a review on the measure of leadership.
Now there's different kinds of leaders. And we need to understand who they are. What they are. Today if we ask nearly anyone in the world. What is a leader? Or what is the meaning of leadership? We would get some of the following answers. A leader is a person out in front. A leader is the representative of a company. A leader is a representative of an organization or, in this case, a nation. A leader is the person who excels at something that they do. A leader is a person who has been given or has accepted a major responsibility. A leader is a person who has the power and the influence to govern. A leader is a person whose influence or capabilities distinguishes them from others. Now, these are some common definitions of leadership, and I say we could accept any one of them or we could accept all of them. A leader is an ordinary person with an extraordinary responsibility and an extraordinary set of circumstances and that is the one that I prefer the most now all of the above are answers that were given when people just like yourselves were arbitrarily questioned strangely enough most people gave definitions to leadership but only a few included what they expected from a leadership. You see, very few people that were asked about the definition of leadership included what I would expect from a leader. So you ask yourself, what do you, Muslim, Christian, Hindu, black or white or East Indian, West Indian or tall or short, male or female, rich or poor, what do you, as a human being, what do you expect from a leader? When we asked that question, some people said, I expect a leader to have courage and strong morals. How many of us would agree with that? I expect a leader to have courage and strong morals. I agree with that. How many other people agree with that? To have the courage to speak about that which is unpopular and to have the morals that force him or her to even give their life before they compromise the morals of the country. Some said, I expect a leader to find solutions for major problems and to be willing to sacrifice himself or herself for the cause of the people. Another person said, I expect a leader to be honest, to consult his constituency, and to be willing 
to make the hard and the unpopular decisions. Another person said, I expect a leader to place the welfare and prosperity of his people above that of himself. Between the definitions offered and the expectancies given, I think that we have a good measure of leadership. I think between the definitions and what is expected by most people, we have a good measure of leadership. The problem is, like everything else in life, you have to have a model. You can come up with a measurement because that's theoretical. You can come up with a measurement for a house, but you got to have some kind of a design. You got to have a model. You got to have a house that was already built, and then you got to build more like that. So leadership requires a paradigm. Leadership requires a model. There's got to be somebody that fits completely the measure and the expectancy of leadership. Because if you don't have that person, then you're reaching in the dark. Then you're gambling. You might as well go to the casino and look for a leader and hope you get one. Because you spend your money. You spend your votes. You put your hard time in putting somebody in the office when you know he lying to you. You already know he lying because he was lying before. And if a person was lying before, you don't think he going to get in the office all of a sudden start telling the truth. Politicians by nature are liars. We don't say all of them. No, a politician starts out just like you and I. But the Prophet Muhammad said, a man starts telling lies until he get written down as a complete liar. So when you lie, and the Prophet said, one of the signs of a liar is that when he makes a promise, he don't keep it. When he makes an oath, he breaks it. That's one of the signs. And we constantly see over and over that whomsoever we vote into office because they never represented the model and we didn't have the measurement for our expectancies. They disappoint us and they fail in what they say. Why? Because they never had the capacity from the beginning. We have to know what is the measure of leadership. And then we have to select. We have to request. We have to nominate. We have to prepare. We have to cultivate a leader that has already been trained and developed with the morals, with the constituency, with the principles, with the behavior, with the character already having the reputation that fits the measure of leadership. 
Now we can't blame those that are in office right now and I'm not going to point no fingers and I hope that our good prime minister and our good president, I hope that they don't feel as if I'm lambasting them or roasting them or toasting them. No, in fact, I'm not even thinking about them. Because when the wind blows, it blows all the debris away. And presidents and prime ministers are human beings that live, get sick and unpopular and die because people are like that. One day you like them and one day you don't. So one day they're here and one day they're there. One day they're with you, another day they're gone. Then you put somebody else in their place and they say the same thing the other one said. Because you can't get good leadership when the people themselves ain't no good. So if you want to blame somebody, people, blame yourself, Muslims. Because if the Muslims were courageous enough, if the leaders of the Muslims could step forward, if the Muslims took the time to evaluate and sacrifice and consolidate their unity and their resources, we already have the model and the messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So, since we have the model, we can take a leader who is prospective, we can take a leader who has been dominated, and we can put him in a special environment so that we can reasonably be sure that when he gets to that office, he has the tools to do what he says. But right now, Muslims don't have the institutions that is even able to produce a bridge from the madrasa to the office. We don't even have a bridge that goes from the mosque to the presidential palace. We don't have a bridge from the mosque or the madrasa to the public institutions. The Muslims can't even solve the problems in their mosque or their madrasa or their homes. You know they can't build no roads. You know they can't build no airport. You know they can't negotiate no international deals. You know, if somebody invaded this country, the Muslims ain't able to command and coordinate no defense system. You know, the Muslims, they ain't able to participate in no geological research in order to determine and make upgrade the water and the roads and the environment. You know, the Muslims, we can't do that because, you know, we just too Muslim. We too focused on rituals. We too focus on halal meat because we like to eat. So we will make sure our oh, brother don't eat that because that ain't halal. I don't know if that's halal or not. And we gonna ask every Muslim when we go in his house how he cook, how he kill that chicken, where he buy it from. But we don't even ask our wife when she pregnant and she got that gynecological exam that she got to go to. You know that that prenatal exam we don't even ask her what hospital she went to and what doctor she was examined by was it a male was it a female that went all up inside her and checked her out and told her miss muhammad uh, i'm glad to see take off your clothes and go in the back i'll be right there we don't ask nothing to her all we say is baby is everything all right we ain't asked where our children is born where the muslim hospital where the muslim clinic 
are the Muslim services, the human services, the social services? Where are they? No, we so busy building mosques. We so build, busy looking at temples and minarets and rugs and books and so and so that we don't even question. We don't even participate in the building of the society's resources and infrastructure. And so our society has to be run. And if some of the people who prospectively are the best people, who have access to the model, who have access to the resources, who have access to the dalil, the proofs and the evidences, the Quran and the Sunnah, the best example for humanity, we have that example and we say every single day, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad. We say it every day. But Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when a person saying the name Muhammad got to the presidential palace, I believe somebody told me that five years ago you had a president named Nurul Hassan in the presidential palace. Is that correct? Excuse me? Well, see, I don't understand. I don't understand how 150,000 Muslims who arguing about halal meat, who talking about, you know, madhab, who talking about ideology, who talking about whose thobe is the longest and, you know, whose who's jilbab is the correct, most correct and who arguing about the beard and who arguing about whether you say Darlene, Darlene, Darlene. I don't understand how 150,000 Muslims who have, and most of them are part of the rich middle class of this country, how y'all let somebody come inside the presidential office after you already had a man there named Nurul Hassan. And from what I understand, one of the good things he did when he got to the presidential office, he replaced the alcohol with coconut water. Lahu Akbar. And he and Lion know fetching. That what y'all call it? What y'all call it? Fetching? Yeah, fetching. Sound like threatening. Y'all didn't allow no fetting in the office. I mean, he, he noticed now and said, no, nah, I ain't doing that. We got to bring integrity to the office. We got to bring honor to the office. We got to bring morality to the office. And with your help, Muslims, I will bring that to the office. I mean, what could he have done for the Muslims to allow him to slide out the office? You had the presidency in your hands and you let it fly out. So I think you need to keep quiet. When y'all be talking about the prime minister and the president and what they do and what they don't do, you need to shut up. Y'all need to get your act together, Muslims. You need to get back. You need to get with the moral-minded Hindus and the moral-minded Christians and the moral-minded those that ain't even got a religion and put together a moral majority and see if you can get somebody back in the office who might be called Nur Muhammad. Because then we have a chance to demonstrate the measure of leadership. Unfortunately, whether people achieve leadership by force or some demonstration of power or when they are then elected to office by popular vote, the democratic process 
it is rare that we find the characteristics that define leadership in the principles that we would expect in a leader. It is not because the leaders themselves are bad. They're not. They're human beings who have aspirations. They're intellectuals. They're human beings who have families just like you and I. They're human beings that have a dream. They're human beings who were at one time politically sincere or naive. They are people who came into an office with some aspirations of goodness that they could make a change. But when they got there and they saw all them opportunities just sitting there and all those fools sitting out there. Man, look, a whole lot of opportunities sitting at my feet and a whole lot of fools out there saying rah, 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 make a good man bad. And the only thing that stops a person from exploiting a situation or exploiting foolish people, people who like to party and people who like to, to, to lime and people that like to relax and people that like to argue and people like to be pretentious and people themselves that's blind and selfish and greedy. The only way when a man gets to that point that he doesn't exploit it is that he got a set of morals that won't allow his conscience to do that. And up to this point, I'll be very clear. Christianity, Hinduism, and Buddhism has not produced for the world a consciousness that has allowed a Christian, a Buddhist, or a Hindu president to get to an office and do not corrupt the land or exploit the people. And I have to say, that in the present world we live in, 95% of all the Muslims who is also in office have corrupted and exploited their people because they're just puppets of those same outreach centers that we call those, those people who used to be the colonialists. So we're looking for a new leadership today. I will be honest with you. After traveling through the Muslim world, it is the Muslim world. That is my family because I accepted Islam and these is my people. And I can't uh, divorce my people. So the Muslims, you here in Trinidad, the Muslims anywhere else, you are my people. So now I'm working to try to bring my people up some kind of way. But I'll be honest with you. It is a huge task. Because the Muslims, it's just like crabs in a basket. They can't get out the hole, and they don't want nobody else to get out the hole. So as soon as you start trying to start getting out the hole, the other crab just bring it, bring it back down. Because misery love company. We are so miserable as a people. We have so much low self-esteem as a people. All over the world, Muslims have the highest set of morals to aim at the Quran. They have the highest legislation and inspiration to aim at the Quran. They have the highest set of morals to aim at to retain the life of Muhammad But they trying to live like French. They trying to live like the British. They trying to live like the Spanish. They trying to live like the Germans. They trying to live like everybody but themselves. So when a person want to live like everybody, dress like everybody, eat like everybody, and like everybody but themselves it means they have an identity crisis we Muslims is suffering from an identity crisis 
That means you got self-esteem. Your self-esteem. You got a self-hate that hates yourself. So you, when you look at another Muslim, you be hating them because you see yourself in them. You see, because the Prophet Sallallahu said, a Muslim is the mirror of his brother. So when you look at your brother and sister, you don't really want them to excel, not before you excel. Yet the Prophet Sallallahu said, a Muslim... You can never believe until you love for your brother or your sister what you love for yourself. We got to begin to love each other. We got to begin to respect each other. We got to begin to look and examine again the resources that we have in front of us, the Quran and the Sunnah of Rasulullah wasallam. We got to stop imitating other people. We got to stop taking other people's values, other people's principles, other people's standards, other people's inspiration, other people's clothes, other people's names, other people's culture, and putting that, putting ourselves in that bottle. So you got inside, you got Muslim on the outside, but on the inside, you, we just as kafir as we can be. Go to the malls. Everybody run into the malls. Trying to buy that last, that dress, them jeans, that coat, that jacket, that this or that made by Ralph Lauren, made by Gloria Vanderbilt, made by this or that faggot, homosexual, lesbian, kafir, communist. You don't want to wear no shirt, say Muhammad. Umar, you don't want to wear no shirt, say Aisha. You don't want to wear no shirt that say, or blouse that say Fatima. No, you want to wear something that's got one of them lesbo names on it. One of them old faggot names on them. And for me, look, a faggot is a faggot. Homosexual is a homosexual. And God said it's wrong. And so publicly or privately, I'm saying that homosexuality, I'm saying lesbianism I'm saying mommy mommy families and daddy daddy families is wrong it's corrupt it's criminal and it will infect and it will contaminate our society if we don't say no but since those labels and those styles and those different products is coming from the countries that have an agreement to exploit you. Your leader, he can't say no. Because if he say no, them big mega bucks that bring in those casinos, those big mega bucks that bring in, put up them malls, them big mega bucks that bring in that fast food that bring fast sickness and fast death, them big mega bucks that bring in all that corruption including under the cover them drugs, that alcohol that prostitution that gambling, all them mega bucks make it hard for a leader to say no so what the leader do sometimes in his house for his own family he say no but when he get to that office painted white or blue or whatever it is He's just like, and, and by the way, we try to do some things over here, and we try to do. You see what they do? 
like just ignore it if you don't flatly say everybody you know got their own right to do what they want to do and you know we live in a world today where everybody should have a right to make their own choice and all like that's that new talk that's that new talk but a leader used to be able to step forward and say no we're not going to have that here that's ungodly that's not good for our families that's not good for our religions that's not good for our country and our society and I'm going to stand against it if it costs me my life, if it costs me the popularity, if it costs me the office. I'm going to stand against it because my family and my conscience and my connection to God would not allow me to stand by and say yes. We had leaders like that at one time. It is not because the leaders themselves are bad, deficient, or necessarily at fault or corrupt. No, I don't believe that. In most cases, they are ordinary people like you and I who were either elected for an extraordinary set of circumstances or challenges or made a decision some time ago to exploit an extraordinary set of circumstances. The world may not agree or approve of how a person became a leader. The world may not agree or approve on how a person became a leader. But most certainly history will document and future generations will be able to judge what they did once they became leaders. You know, I like to use an example that I have a right to use more so than talking about Trinidad. You know, President Clinton, you know, he wasn't that bad of a president, you know, as presidents go. I mean, he was charming. He had charisma. He had some convictions. You know, he had, he had I like the way he used to comb his hair. You know, Bill Clinton, plus he, you know, he played jazz. You know, sometimes he, he used to play that saxophone, so he was cool. Bill Clinton. You know, Bill Clinton, when it come to presidents, he had some popularity because some positions and some characteristics and some positions that he took. And he will go down in history as one of the most articulate, one of the most popular presidents before that situation about that girl underneath the desk inside the Oval Office. See, because a president in the Oval Office, you know, the most politically sacred place in America, we was talking about opportunities, how a man is faced with an opportunity, and when that opportunity comes, if he don't have the morals at that time you see when he ain't got if he ain't got the morals he's gonna violate that sanctity and he's gonna go down in history everybody is gonna know what Bill Clinton did and it's gonna be written in history that he was the most foul he was the most immoral and he brought the greatest desecration and embarrassment on the White House and the American people than any other president in history so history has a way of closing doors. My objective this evening is not to perform an, a critique upon non-Muslim leadership or to use this platform for finding fault 
It is, however, my objective to examine, to diagnose, and assess the measure of leadership in the light of the critical and central issues facing humanity in the contemporary world. A wise person said, all of you is like a shepherd. And almighty God will hold you responsible for that which is under your custody. A leader is the shepherd or the custodian of the people and their principles and their honor and God will hold him responsible for what is under his custody. A father is the shepherd and the custodian of his family, his household. And almighty God will hold him responsible for that which is under his custody. A woman is the custodian of her household and her children and herself in the absence of her husband. And Almighty God will hold her responsible for that which is under her custody. That wise man was the Prophet Muhammad Since this is a public lecture and not an academic thesis, I will try to confine myself to the broadest spectrum of leadership. I want to explore 10 specific characteristics of leadership with you. And in doing so, provide us with, provide us, most of whom are followers, with a reference to the measure of leadership. And to provide our leaders, including those who are your leaders here in Trinidad, the good prime minister and the good president of this country, also to provide them possibly with a piece of advice, possibly with a suggestion, possibly with an inspiration that they can bring into their office and bring into their chance to put something down in history that will be different than their predecessors. Whomever and wherever these leaders may be, we want to provide them with a paradigm, a model, by which they can both inspire and measure themselves. The style of leadership is important because today we got different kinds of leaders. We got dictators, we got visionaries, we have the charismatic leader, we have those who wish only for power and empire. Those are the kinds of leaders that we have today. We have special challenges of leadership. Ambition, expectancy, opposition, and issues. These are the challenges of leadership. We have history and legacy. What came before them and what they leave behind. We have the caliber of leadership. The ordinary, the peculiar, the extraordinary, and the phenomenal. Those are the kinds of leaders 
that the world has seen. Ordinary leaders, they come a dime a dozen. You have peculiar leaders, people who themselves are perverts, people who themselves who have changed the context of human thought, peculiar. People who come out of the context of what is normal, peculiar. Then you have extraordinary leaders, some that have extraordinary memories, some who have extraordinary speech, some who have extraordinary energy, some who have extraordinary principles. We have those. But the world hasn't seen recently a phenomenal leader. Because a phenomenal leader has to follow the measurement of the phenomenal leaders of the past. And the most phenomenal leaders of the past were the prophets and the messengers of Almighty God. Phenomenal leaders above extraordinary because they had a phenomenal set of morals. They had a phenomenal set of guidelines. They had a phenomenal measure of commitment. They had a phenomenal connection to God and principles. And therefore, they served humanity in a phenomenal capacity. And only someone coming with that measure of leadership will bring phenomenal leadership back to the world today. Leaders need special tools and resources of leadership. For instance, leaders need to rule. Leaders need diplomacy. Leaders need scholarship. And leaders need to be activists. These are special tools that human beings bring to the office of leadership, rulership, diplomacy, scholarship, and activism. Another challenge that a leader has is whether he is a slave of traditional thinking or whether he is a slave of contemporary thinking. But very rarely do we have a leader that is balanced to bring traditions into play and balance and in harmony with contemporary thinking. But that's the kind of leader that we need. Scholars locked into tradition and followers locked into sensationalism. This is one of the challenges of leadership we have today. Leaders who are scholars, who are locked into their scholastics, who are living in the past, who living off of nostalgia, who pimping off the past because of their letters, because of their distinction, because of their erudition. They ought to be considered as leaders forever. And some of the followers is high off of the leaders. And they don't got so high 
is that they don't create like a whole sensational idea about this leadership they following and they can't never get off they can't never break that addiction to that leader so you got these leaders locked into tradition and you got the followers high off of sensationalism leaders must show the responsibility and followers must pledge their accountability that's what the imam just spoke about leaders have to shoulder responsibility for every decision that they make they have to shoulder it they have to go to sleep at night and weigh their conscience for the decisions they make on behalf of their people that's a real leader then leaders we will make better leaders if we are more accountable to those leaders as the imam spoke about freak just a few moments ago a wise man once said the best of your leaders are those whom you pray for and they pray for you and the worst of your leaders are those that curse you and you curse them it seems that most of our leaders today are the latter they rob us and we try to find every way that we can to rob them they oppress us they curse us with their oppression and their exploitation and their corruption and we curse them We have to ask ourselves what choice have we made in this free society for leadership. The choices are do you want to join the new world order? And that is the globalist expansionist theory. And that is to conquer as much and as many as you can in the name of globalism. Since now the exploiters realize that none of them can control the world by themselves that all the wolves of society all the dogs of society all the all the sophisticated pirates of society that are banded together and form something called the new world order they said look we know we can't take it and keep it by ourselves so let's get together and just take the whole thing all at one time and keep it that's called the new world order that's what is meant by the terminology globalism then you have megastar personality this is cultism that's people worshiping rock stars and people worshiping football stars and people worshiping uh, 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 movie stars and people worshiping other kind of stars so that you know once a person is a movie star or a rock star or a porn star or any kind of mega star then they got a chance even if they ain't nobody but a bodybuilder who can't even speak English they got the chance to become a governor and a president just because there is a you know bodybuilder and you know can't even speak 
English, but they are mega star. They done busted through, you know, all the movies and they done knocked down and burned out and everybody done bought them tickets and you know that he got to be worthy to run the country like Ronald Reagan because he did all what Ronald Reagan did and Ronald Reagan was the president of California. So why shouldn't he be the president of California governor? And then that means why shouldn't he also become the president of the United States. That's what you call megastar cultism. We follow in that in our country, in this country, in different ways. Then you've got industrial, scientific, pragmatic, intellectual people who should be president or leaders just because of those accomplishments. And then lastly, you have the choice of scriptural leadership. Now you might say to yourself, this guy now he getting deep. He getting too like antique. He going way back. We talking about scripture. I mean, what are you, what are you talking about? Yeah, I'm talking like Moses. I'm talking like Abraham. I'm talking like David. I'm talking like Solomon. I'm talking like John the Baptist. I'm talking like Jesus Christ. I'm talking like the prophet Muhammad. So a lot of Islam. Scriptural leaderships who got their endorsement from God. I say that scriptural leadership is the most phenomenal leadership in the world. And we need to put our support behind those who support and stand for scripture. You people of Trinidad, Muslims, Hindus, Christians, all of us together is in this boat. We need to examine our scriptures and see if we can bring a candidate representing our scriptures and then see if those candidates can be examined and see who has the widest spectrum of scriptural leadership possibility and then we should then put our vote behind that person because that person has the highest prospect to serve the interests of this country more leadership spiritual leadership godly leadership scriptural leadership we need to measure our present leaders by morality, spirituality, by the scripture, by their morals. And that will tell you what is the measure of their leadership. And we need to make the sacrifice for a person to get to that office to represent us. But you Muslims... If you won't support, if you won't advise, if you won't consolidate yourselves into some kind of galvanized group of people who are committed to that kind of leadership, no one will ever respect and nobody will ever even listen to you. We need a new thinking, a new energy, a new vision. And that leads me to the conclusion of my comments. I want to just make a short overview of what some grassroots people said about your leadership. We're talking to the Muslims now. 
Now this is not what I said. This is what some grassroots people said this morning. People who are people just like you and I. This is what they said about the leadership that you have. Now this is not blaming the leadership. This is not slandering the leadership. Not, no, not at all. We're just making a diagnosis so that we can start from the ground and see if we can't correct a situation. Like I mentioned, I gave the analogy. It's a way that if you are constipated and you can't move your bowels, you need an enema. You need something to get that impaction out the way. Now it might sound graphic. It might don't feel good. But once that impaction is out the way, you feel relieved. And right now, the Muslims of Trinidad are the most constipated people from a leadership point of view than I've ever seen anybody in the world. Now this is what some grassroots people said about the situation of leadership in this country. Among the Muslims now. So let's be more personal. Let's be more personal. Let's take care of ourselves. Let's look at ourselves. Let's look at our own family before we start talking about the prime minister and the president. Because when we take care of ourselves, then we can address the prime minister and the president. Maybe we got something to invite them to. I was told that one of the major problems of this country among the Muslims is that you got an upper class, an upper class people who are the most prestigious, privileged, rich people among the Muslims and they don't like the poor people. They don't, they don't mix with the poor people. They don't want no poor people around them, living in their neighborhoods, coming to their mosques. They don't want to be associating with these poor people. And as a result of that, these rich people, they select special scholars to be their tools, to be their voices, to be the imams and representatives of their mosques and their agencies, and they build beautiful houses for those religious leaders and they build other things for those leaders so those leaders can't say nothing about what they do. And as a result of that, if a poor person has a need, if a poor person has a question, if a poor person is in a predicament, they ain't got nobody to come to, especially not the representatives of the rich people. Now that's what some of your people said. They said that some of the mosques here that have some of the leaders here, they don't never step outside their mosque or outside their home or outside their area to even go visit no poor people in this country. And they said that some of the rich people in this country are not just rich, they are filthy rich. They are the fat cats and they are the fat rats of the Muslims. And they don't come to no Fajr prayers and you don't see them maybe except on Eid. When you see them in the street, you wouldn't even know that they're Muslim. Not them, not their wife, not their daughter, not even their, their dog or cat. 
just Muslim in their name. They just wearing them labels. They just, you know, them Bismillah, Salam Alaikum, Muslim, MashaAllah, Alhamdulillah, Muslim, that just Muslim on occasion, but they don't pray. They don't follow Sadaqah, Wala Salah, Wala Kin, Kedaba, Watawala. They ain't doing nothing for the Muslims in general. They ain't building no hospitals. They ain't building no schools. They ain't building no universities. They ain't building no infrastructure. They're not building no social services. They're not giving up nothing. They're just building more houses, buying more land, buying more cars, and, you know, just getting fatter and fatter and fatter. And they got to get some rich. They got to get some scholars to be able to give them fatwas to keep them poor people away. Some of them rich people give their daughters to Hindus. And I'm told that the new Muslims in this country, most of them that take their shahada from the Hindus, most of them that take shahada from the Christians, those dark people, most of them people come from, you know, um, Dago Martin, those people that come from Leventil, those people from those areas, you know, when they take shahada, we happy for them, but the rich people ain't happy for them. The rich Muslims ain't happy for them. The rich, you know, the servants of those rich people, I mean the religious servants of those rich people, them scholars who got them big houses next to the rich people, they ain't happy for them. Because in America, we had some people like that too. We used to call them Negroes. Negroes. Negroes was freed slaves who thought that they was like the master. And Malcolm, may Allah reward him, El Haj Malik Shabazz, he spoke about the, the field Negro and the house Negro. He spoke about the field nigger and the house nigger and you got a whole lot of house niggers in this country. Only thing they are religious house niggers. They exploiting the country and they exploiting the people and they eating as much curry and doubles as they can get. And they only giving fatwas for dollars and they scholars for dollars and they live it as good as they can live as long as they can live and they don't care nothing about no Islamic movement, about no Islamic community, about no Islamic institution and they don't care nothing about no Islamic dawah. Most of the rich people, the rich Muslims in this country, they ain't never gave a shahada in their life. They got non-Muslims working for them in their factories, in their fields. They got non-Muslims working for them like animals working on that minimum wage. They got them working and they never gave them a Quran or talked to them about Allah and His Messenger, Salaam. And most of these religious institutions and mosques, they don't want no poor Muslims coming there. Because once them poor Muslims start coming there, one of them going to ask for their daughter. One of them poor Muslims start coming there, 
they might go to Medina and get a get a, 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 a graduate from the ministry, one of them institutions and really learn the religion more than those who is the servants of the rich and then they might wind up being the imam you don't want that to happen you don't want no black imam oh but y'all gonna say we ain't like that no you're not really like that but you are the beneficiaries of that conspiracy so those who are the beneficiaries of a conspiracy those who are sharing the money that was robbed from the bank they just as guilty as Jesse James another one of the problems of our leadership that I was told was you have a serious cancer of cultural and religious innovation that is people done brought cultural baggage from India from Kashmir from Pakistan from under the earth they done brought some new ideas from inside their minds and they done put it inside the religion so you can't tell the difference between the cultural baggage and Islam so you got a country here that's been infected a country that's been contaminated they done covered the Quran, covered it with new ideas. They done covered the Sunnah with bidah and innovation. And if anybody say, that ain't no authentic hadith. Ain't no such dua like that. What you doing, Imam? Where you get that from? All of a sudden, they're going to call you a name. They're going to call you a Wahhabite. They're going to say he's a Wahhabi. Because anybody that's talking about a correct Akita without no bidah, he got to be a Wahhabi. Or they're going to say he a terrorist, he an extremist. Then they're going to call the prime minister. They're going to call the, the, the president. They're going to say, why this guy here? Why, what's going on? This guy is, is uh, infiltrating. This guy is infecting our country because we ain't about that. Why? Because when we start talking about pure Islam the Quran and the Sunnah I'm not talking about no medhabi Islam I'm not talking about no secularist Islam I'm not talking about no me, my lamb, yo lamb, his lamb, her lamb, trini lamb I ain't talking about that kind of lamb I'm talking about Islam when you got somebody talking about the pure hadith and seerah of Rasulullah وسلم, with evidence the Aqidah, the fundamental Tawheed of Islam, that's pure Islam. And that's what Muslims everywhere is supposed to be about. But when somebody starts preaching that, he get a label in this country. Why? Because the fat cats and the fat rats and those up at the top who are enjoying that level of prestige, they don't want to hear that because that might mean a threat. To the positions of influence which they hold well I got to tell them sooner or later the worms gonna eat into your staff sooner or later the Quran and the Sunnah is gonna come over all that sooner or later the grassroots people gonna get hold of this Tawheed and the grassroots people gonna get hold of that pure Sunnah and the grassroots people gonna mix with some of the middle people and them people gonna come up and they gonna start asking questions and they gonna start knocking on them doors and they gonna start shaking them poles and they gonna start saying we don't want to hear that bitter and that cultural fixation no more 
then Trinidad is going to be on its way to something which is called Islamization. It's going to be on its way towards something called Nahda. Nahda till Islami. It's going to call a new enlightenment for Islam. It's coming like a new, a new movement for Islam. It ain't no new Islam. It's just a new movement for Islam. It's the establishment of Islam. Because we got to establish Islam in our lives, in our homes, in our messages. We got to establish Islam in this society so people can see it like those lights. We got to establish Islam, not just practice Islam because you can't keep practicing something that you want to win. You got to get out on the field and play. We got to establish Islam. If we want to win, we got to establish Islam, not keep practicing it as a culture. Then you got this polarization between the leaders. Y'all know what I'm talking about. The leaders don't even talk to each other. You got 160 messages here. I heard somebody say, no, it ain't 160, Imam. Yeah, uh, brother, it ain't 160. It's almost 200 messages. Just 40 of them, don't nobody even mention them because they're too small. You know, if your masjid ain't got at least one minaret, they don't even count it like no masjid here. So they, they ain't no masjid. They ain't got no minaret. So you got 160 maybe 200 masjids in this country and the imams of this country the scholars of this country you know they got Indian arrival day they got emancipation day they got this day and that day you know in this country here you ain't got to have no holiday to drink no rum you ain't got to have no holiday to lime you can lime and rum every single day. You can have a party every day. It's like Caribbean spirit in this country here. But you ain't even got a day in this country that the scholars and the imams come together and talk about the problems of the people. And whose fault is it? It's your fault. It's your fault because you're afraid to step to those leaders and ask them, Brother Imam, Brother Amir, brother chairman, brother president of our company, our corporation, our agency, our masjid, our organization, brother, brother Mulvi, brother Mullah, brother Mufti, brother Maulam, brother Alim, brother, 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 look why you don't come together with the rest of the brothers who are leaders in this country, why you don't come together and talk about the problems of the people. I ask you Muslims here, when the last time that you know in the history of this country that half of the leaders came together and talked about the problems of the Muslims. When? When was it? Was it a year ago? Was it two years ago? Was it five years ago? Was it ten years ago? Was it twenty years ago or never? Then you are a unique set of fools. Because there ain't nobody in the world, there ain't no group of people in the world that call themselves a constituency, whether religious or political or otherwise, ain't going to have no leadership that don't meet at all in order to talk about their problems. So we got to be a unique set of fools. 
And I say it's time for us to flip the coin. It's time for us to wake up out of this stupor. Not just in Trinidad, but all over the world. Muslims got to stand up and say, as a Muslim woman, as a father, as a businessman, as a common person, one who don't have no knowledge, I'm a holder imam, I'm a holder mufti, maulana, mullah, chairman, president, leader, amir. I'm holding them responsible because I'm ready to be accountable. Now, how many of us is ready to be accountable? Raise your hand, Muslims. See, I see you're hesitating. That's the problem. You don't want to be accountable. You say you're Muslim, but you don't want nobody telling you knocking on your door reminding you about Fajr prayer you don't want nobody checking on you you don't want nobody telling you that you should pay yours a cut you don't want nobody saying that you don't want nobody asking you why you gave your daughter to a Hindu you don't want nobody arbitrating your marriages you don't want nobody arbitrating your arguments you don't want nobody looking and enjoying the right forbidding the wrong that's why you don't want to be accountable and that's why you've been exploited every single day let me ask the question again how many people here would like the leaders that they pay their taxes to to be a responsible for what they spend those taxes on how many people here would like that how many people here would like the leaders who take the taxes and collect them to be responsible to give us a report on where they spend it for how many people here and if the leaders the political leaders who take our tax dollars said you must fulfill the duties of citizenship then I'm gonna give back some of those tax dollars to you every year that is if you become good and better more productive citizens I give you back 25 percent of your taxes how many of y'all would be willing to be more responsible See, everybody. You see how much profit bring out? But in being accountable to Muslim leadership, you know, you want responsible leadership, but you don't want to pay the price of accountability, and that's why you're going to always be exploited, and that's why your prayers ain't going to be accepted. You can pray all night. You can make zikr all day. But people that are disobedient to leadership, people that are unaccountable to leadership, the Prophet said, Whomsoever obeys Allah obeys me. Whoever disobeys Allah disobeys me. Whoever obeys the ruler obeys me. And whoever disobeys the ruler disobeys me. So there got to be a Muslim ruler. There's got to be a Muslim ruler. If you are a follower, the ruler will be there. But if you're not ready to follow, there will never be a ruler. Another one of the problems that the brother said to me is that there's hostility among the socially disadvantaged. They said that most of the people that's, some of the people that's shooting people, kidnapping people, murdering people, robbing people, selling drugs, prostitution, so forth. Some of these people is Muslims or they used to be Muslims but they were treated so bad by some of these Muslims, some of these rich Muslims, that they done flipped the script. And now they got areas that they done put up signs and said, no Muslims allowed. And if you go in those areas wearing a kufi, 
wearing a thobe, you're going to get shot on the spot. Well, there's two problems there. Because they don't they put enough fear in you Muslims to tell you don't come in that area, which is a part of Trinidad that you pay your taxes for. You don't let these people, you don't let these little pimples, you don't let these little criminals, you don't let these little, these little bugs, these bacteria, these criminal-minded people, because they're hostile, you don't let them set fear in you. So you don't even want to go down there wearing no kufi, so you just leave them alone. That's one problem. But the other problem is, how did they become so hostile? How did they become so hostile? Well, I was told they became hostile like that because of mistreatment. Well, we Muslims should go talk to them. We should go and talk to them and say to them that there is a bridge that we can heal those wounds. We can bring some of them back. We can reform their thinking. We can make rocks. We can create good people out of bad people. We do it every day. Ask the Imam. In America, you got inside the prisons in America some of the biggest congregation of Muslims in the whole continent. Why? Because we have found a solution to reform criminals in the prison by reaching out to them. So I say that we have a way to reach out to those people in Dago Martin, those people in Leventil, those people in those other areas out there who you say they cannot be reconstructed and reformed. They just the scum of the earth. Well, I say some of those scum of the earth have become Muslims. And they are right now some of the most prestigious and energetic and respectable Muslims in this country. But you wouldn't know it. Then we need a change. Not from the top. Change very rarely comes from the top. We need a change that's going to come from the bottom. We need a change that come up like the grass. Like the grass that come up through this concrete. That break through the concrete. We need that grass to start coming up. We need to go down to the grassroots. Go down to the people in the street. Go down to them poor people. Because the prophets of God, they started out sitting with the poor people. And I say we got to go back to the poor people. Because when we go to the poor people, it will make us humble because we could relate to the poor. And the prophet said, I was born among the poor. And may God bless the poor. We need to have a grassroot movement. We need to have a town hall movement. A town hall meeting. Where once a month or every two months, we got 5,000, 10,000 Muslims that come together. And we got 15 or 20 or 50 of the leaders sitting right here answering questions. How many Muslims here would like that? We should rent this place right here or some other place like it and have all the Muslims, many who want to come free, all around here with seats, with lights. Then we just get 15 or 20 of whatever leaders will come from the grassroots on up. 
just to respond to your questions. Just to begin building some kind of leadership. Just to start responding to the issues. To start a majlis assurer, a assurer that will, that will receive your questions and give you answers and give you guidance and inspiration even if they wasn't but 10 or 15 leaders and there wasn't but 10 or 15,000 of you people I say that when 10 or 15,000 of you people sign a public referendum that is also signed by those 10 or 15 leaders I think those people on the top they're going to start listening I think those people on the top going to start recognizing and we're going to see them soon those people on the top they're going to start coming down into those grassroots meetings and wanting to hear what's going on because they know that when they get to be 20,000, 25,000, 50,000, some people from the top going to start falling to the bottom and some people from the bottom going to start rising to the top. Then we're going to find some cooperation. How many of you people is willing to be part of that 15, 20,000, part of that grassroots Islamic movement? Raise your hand and let me see. But don't tell no lies because you're going to be answerable to God tomorrow. Well, if that's so, then I say by long distance or any other distance, I say that myself, the imam, and other people that's in America, I say we're with you. I say we're going to help work to make that happen. I say we're going to work to make it happen until the conspirators among the Muslims, the munafics among the Muslims, write some letters against us and we just can't come in no more. But we know that all the power and we know that all the glory is with Allah. And if all the people is gathered against you to cause you some harm, they ain't going to cause no harm except what Allah has written. And if all the people gather together to cause you some benefit, they're not going to cause no benefit that Allah has not already written. The pens have been lifted and the pages are dry. So Muslims, I'm saying we got to do what we say. Tonight can be the first night of a new day, a new year, a new age for this country. But it will be because you people of the grassroots. It will be because you people who are the sons and daughters of Muslims. You people will raise your voice and put your hands together. You people will make more prayers. You will pay more sakat. You will make more sacrifice. You will try to be better brothers and sisters to change your condition and to establish the deen in Trinidad. Establish Islam in Trinidad. And I don't mean cultural Islam, I mean real, genuine Islam. The brothers told me that we need a bridge to cross over Medhab to Medhab. The special interest groups, the racism, the partisanship, and the egotism. And I say we're going to get ready to build those bridges. We're going to build those bridges and we're going to cross them and we're going to keep on until brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers, sisters and brothers, Muslims of this country, become a beacon of light for the Caribbean. And you Muslims have the opportunity to do it. And we make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he be a witness for what we say. 
that we have an opportunity to change this country. And that in doing so, we have an opportunity to change the world. But Allah don't change the condition of a people until the people change what? The condition inside themselves. I ask, is there a non-Muslim in this place? Are there any non-Muslims sitting in this place today? Raise your hand so I can see you. A non-Muslim, one. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Maybe I can't see that far because the lights is off, but I see at least eight, nine, ten. Might be twenty, thirty non-Muslims in this room. And I say, some of y'all non-Muslims that's in this room, you have read the Quran, or you read some of it. You read about the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu or something about his life. You know something about Islam that some Muslim friend, neighbor, colleague talked to you about. And if there's a Muslim, non-Muslim that's in this crowd that feel within themselves that Islam is a worthy, honorable way of life and they believe that there's none to be worshipped except God and only God and they accept that Muhammad is the messenger of God. If there's a non-Muslim here that believes that, come on down here and take the shahada and get this money right now. Any non-Muslim that's here now that believes there's none to be worshipped except Almighty God and that Muhammad is the prophet of Almighty God, stand up and come down here now. If you brought a non-Muslim here, if you escorted or convinced a non-Muslim to come here, I suggest that you ask that non-Muslim to come down here and get the opportunity to embrace this treasure called Islam. Get a brother a seat. Come on, brother. Come on up these steps if you want to. Now, <clears throat> brothers and sisters, our talk tonight was about leadership. It wasn't really about Islam. I just wanted to see if we could talk about something that ain't got nothing to do with Islam. We didn't talk about no beliefs. I just wanted to see if there's people that's sitting with us that's just got the feeling they can feel it's right it's like I, don't, I can't read no music but I can feel that beat and there's people sitting here there's people here in Trinidad like this brother and this brother right here you don't have to even talk no religion to them they just be with you while you talking about the problems and they could see that Islam got the answer to the problems. They could feel that Islam got the answer to the problems. And they come right on down and take their shahada. What's your name, brother? This Kwame. What's your name, brother? 
Bartholomew and Peter. Kwame, did you ever read the Quran? It's part of it. Peter, did you read part of the Quran? Did you read something about the Prophet Muhammad? Did you read something about the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessing be upon him? Nothing. But you believe that there's none to be worshipped except Almighty God. You believe that there's none to be worshipped except Almighty God. This is important. And there are thousands. There are thousands of people here in Trinidad who believe just like Kwame and just like Peter. And I ask you, what you heard about Muhammad, do you bear witness that he's a prophet? From what you heard, that he confirmed Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ prophesied him that he said he was God's final prophet and messenger. Do you accept that? You accept that? Yeah. Yes. Well, let's make it simple for Kwame and Peter because there's plenty of people out there that's going to teach you. We got books that you can read, brothers that you can sit with. But what you need to do tonight is just make a testimony that there's none to be worshipped except God and that Muhammad is the messenger of God. I'll say it in Arabic because it's like a formula. And then I'll translate it. And what I translate don't mean nothing more than what you said. It's a simple word. It's two sentences. When you accept it, you take upon it the commitment to be a Muslim and to do your best to follow the law of being you accept the Quran as a book to read, to study, and as a guide for your life. You accept the Prophet Muhammad to be an example for you. That means you accept not just his example, but that he's the final prophet. And so that means the example of all the prophets. Do you accept that, Kwame? Yeah. Do you accept that, Peter? Then say after me. A'udhu A'udhu Billahi Billahi You can say it at the same time It don't matter if we don't hear A'udhu Billahi Billahi Mina Mina Shaitan Shaitan Nirajim Nirajim Bismillah Bismillah Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahman Nirahim La ilaha La ilaha Illallah Illallah Muhammad Muhammad Rasulullah Rasulullah Sallah Sallah Allahu Allahu Alayhi Alayhi Wasallam Wasallam Ashadu Ashadu An la Ilaha Illallah Illallah Wahdahu Wahdahu La La Sharika Sharika Allahu وأشهدوا أن محمدًا أبده أبده ورسوله
Peter and Kwame, you just said the words of the Islamic testimony. What you said is, I seek the protection of Almighty God from every evil thing, including shaitan or the devil. You said, in the name of God, who is the most compassionate and the most merciful, there is none to be worshipped except Almighty God. And that Muhammad is the prophet of Almighty God, the messenger of God. Then you declared, you said, I declare, I testify, I witness that there is none to be worshipped except Almighty God. And he is one, one, without any partners. And that I bear witness, I declare, that Muhammad is the final prophet and messenger of God, his servant and his slave. Then you said, peace and blessings be upon him. Do you accept that? Yeah. Kwame, you come from a Christian background? Yeah. Peter, then there's something else we need to say. That is that Jesus Christ is the word and the spirit of Almighty God and the Messiah that was sent to Mary. So he was born as the son of Mary, but he is not one of the gods of three and he is not the son of God, but that he is a messenger of God and the son of Mary. Do you accept that? Do you accept yeah. that, Kwame? Yeah, I do. Then let's say, and I bear witness, I bear witness, I bear witness. That, Jesus Christ that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, is the Messiah. and the and the, spirit, and the Spirit and the Word, and the word. Sent, by God sent by God to Mary, to Mary. and she was chast. Amen. MashaAllah. MashaAllah, man. Lord bless you, brothers. Brothers and sisters, we got one more operation to do. Brother, this is for you. And this is for you. Now I want y'all to hold up. Because we're going to do something else for you too. Brothers and sisters, we got another operation. This one calls for something that you got to do. To keep this work going on. To pay for all of this. To make sure that IBN goes on air that it goes to satellite, that it expands to do this work of dower for Trinidad, Tobago, and for the whole Caribbean, and then for the United States of America and Canada. But it can only happen when you and I take money from our pockets and give it in the way of Allah. And a portion of what we collect we're going to give something to Kwame and something to Peter because when people become Muslims, we should share something with them and give them some free gift from ourselves that they can use and appreciate along with these books. So I want everybody in this 
everybody in the stadium to raise their hands if they feel as if IBN is doing work that's worthy of their support. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Now, I want you to put your hand down, but I want you to put them into your pockets now. Take your hand down and put them into your pockets. Put them into your purse and bring out those blue bills. The blue bills. And put them in those boxes. Because this is the time for you to bear witness for what you said. Just like Peter and Kwame just bad witness to what they felt. Now I don't take no talk. Let the brothers walk with those boxes and let the Muslims fill up those boxes to support the work of IBN. And no Muslims here can tell me that you don't have nothing to give. And that's why we didn't charge you for coming here. We felt that if you came here and you wasn't charged at the end, if you were inspired, you would give. And every Muslim or non-Muslim here should give to support the work that they see in their faces that come inside their living rooms every day. At the end we say, Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika wa na shadun la ilaha illa ant wa na stakfuruk wa na tubu ilayk wa salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu